friends, Chris Sauter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message. So um, today we're going to be talking on something really special because um, all of us have a Suez Canal and there's a ship blocking God's love from us. Let's open our Bibles. I'm just joking. (laughs) I wonder how many churches are giving that message today. We all have a ship. (laughs) All right. So, oh, that's funny. I'm a pretty funny guy. All right. If you're new to this church, I'm a pretty, pretty funny guy. Um, so seriously, thank you for everyone uh, who's taking the time of their Sunday to um, be with me. Jamie Evzeski, I just saw, um, uh, she's running right now. Jamie, keep running. You breathe, Jamie, breathe, right? Um, oh man, I want to tell a story about running, but I'm not going to. Because uh, today I'm talking about movement. Love requires um, movement. Uh, last couple weeks, um, I've been overwhelmed. I've been absolutely overwhelmed, maybe for the past year, <laughs> but really the last three weeks I've been really um, overwhelmed. And I got a feeling I'm not, I'm, I'm not alone. But when, when there is um, violence, like mass shootings, there is um, blatant racism of what happened in Atlanta, what's been happening in Chinatowns um, on the coasts. Yeah. There, there's times where I'm like, I, I don't know if I have a lot of hope. Honestly, there's, there's, there's pockets where I'm like, even before Jen Lean, who spoke last week, was so good. If you can get a chance to listen to her, it was so, it was so good. Um, but right before, like we were, we were on a Zoom call, but we didn't go live yet. And right before the call, someone sent a, um, just a, a, a really racist text. And I read it and it was like right before we went live and we're gonna be talking, addressing racism. <laughs> And I'm like, I just don't have, I, I said out loud, I don't know if you heard me, I'm like, I don't know if I have a whole lot of hope, right? I see walking through a town that people not wearing masks, it's almost like they're begging me to ask them so that there can be some sort of confrontation in this fight. It's just, there's, anyone else? You see these places, right? And so I'm, I'm in seminary and one of the classes I'm in is called Social Leadership and Change. It is a, uh, it's all about um, organizing and being activist and how do we address real transformation in our communities. And so we'll be going through uh, all these different tactics, all these different ways of stakeholders, all this stuff. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, we're talking about change while there's all of these horrible things that are happening, all this evil that's happening, and it can feel defeating. And especially when, when there is um, violence and there's people who are targeted by the color of their skin or by their body. Like, I know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I see and I hear how that impacts and how that 
traumatizes people of color, how that can traumatize different demographics of people. And so I love those people. So I just, I just take it on and I, I, just, I just feel the, anyone else, right? So in class, I have this wonderful professor, his name's um, Justin, I <laughs> just forgot. And at the end of every week, there's this thing called a check-in and it's literally just like a, like a little comment box and you can write one word, you can write a whole paragraph. And that, that day, I had to leave class early and um, that, that night, I sat down and when you have time to process, when you have even a space, even if it's just on a computer, that is a gift. And I sat there and I just wrote out several paragraphs of what I was feeling. And I was crying (laughs) because I'm a high feeler. And it really felt like a sacred place. And what I wrote was of when this happens to people, what it did, the AAPI community being targeted in that way, I, I just... I'm, I'm floored. I'm done. And I wrote, like, I know I'm going to bounce back. I know. I know I'm going to bounce back. But it's the bouncing that can get exhausting, right? And the way I know I can bounce back is because that's a privilege I have. I, I, I Absolutely, it's a privilege. I know that I'm going to move back to a place where I'll be believed. I know I'll move back to a place of where I can move freely because... I don't get targeted by the color of my skin. I don't get targeted by how I identify. I don't get targeted, <laughs> right? I don't I'll get targeted. I don't have to think about walking in a store. I don't, uh, of who might be looking at me, who's going to attack me. I don't have to be worried of someone walking at me a little aggressively. I don't. Like my only concern right now is other white men with guns. And I, I don't think I'd be targeted. I'd just be a victim. And I absolutely, anyone else? <laughs> like, I have to be aware of where there's doors, where I could hide. I think about it when I when I'm, I sub at schools. I'm thinking about it constantly. But it's not because of color of my skin. It's not because of how I identify. Not because of my gender. And so I know I'll be able to bounce back. And uh, recently, even even like um, early this week, I had this like had this um, feeling of like, okay, you know what? I can I can make a difference. I can be a part of change. And I am like, I'm going to work through all the emotional trauma, all that stuff. And then like, okay, then how can I use my voice? How can I use our platform? How can we use um, to make a difference? And one of the ways that I've been able to do this is a simple way of um, people uh, will send us invites to events as a church all the time um, because we're not a very event-driven church like at all. but we'll get invites to like prayer things, we get invites to um, fundraisers, all, all these things. And before, I would just like, oh, that's really nice. And I, I think it's really good that people are doing events. But I would just like leave the letter, the pamphlet or the email and be like, okay, that's great. Um, and not say anything. What I've learned is that in some of those circles, in some of those events, they have a certain set of values. They have um, policies that are, I believe, incredibly damaging and could be um, homophobic, transphobic, uh, racist, xenophobic, and it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let it be. What I've learned is if I don't use our voice, if I just let it go, I'm actually just letting that system perpetuate over and over. And I believe those policies are bringing harm to kids' bodies, students' bodies, adults' bodies. And so what I've learned through my class and through um, listening to other people is I speak up and only, not unsolicited, it's not like I'm emailing everyone, but if they say, hey, come to our event, like one of them was like this 
um, parking lot prayer event. And I just said, oh, awesome, by a parachurch organization. I said, hey, this is a really good event. Thank you for inviting me. What are your policies regarding LGBTQ community? Will you take time to pray over um, all the transphobia that's happening over trans students um, with the Equality Bill? Do you have any people of color who are helping organize the event? And the response I got was, was good enough, right? And I've learned, I'm just gonna keep raising my voice. I got an email um, for an event recently um, from someone I know. We have, we have a relationship and it was for this student organization, this event, and so I did the same thing. What, how would you respond if a um, trans student or a queer student um, fell in love with this whole organization and especially you? Like the reason I'm a pastor today is because my youth pastor, I'm like, I want to be just like you. And I said, where did you go to school? And he's like, North Central. I'm like, well, I'm going to North Central. And so I just said, what, how would you respond? And what are your policies in the email? And then I said, we should get coffee. Let's talk about it. Because I love, I love talking through all these things. Um, and not in a confrontational. My goal isn't come in hot and heavy anger. I really out of love. And they responded like, yeah, great. Um, let's meet. But the line that they used that really, um, that moved me was, um, I don't know how much world transformation is gonna come out of this conversation. Um, I'll hit on that in a second. So we met, it was fine, it was good. Um, but that line of, I don't know how much transformation, how we're gonna change the world through this conversation. It made me think of, like, when I was overwhelmed, when I felt like I didn't have a whole lot of hope, it's easy to feel like, can we really do anything? Can we really, through a conversation, bring some change in the world? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely we can. Why, why couldn't we? But it's, it's easy to, to um, displace that feeling um, when you feel hopeless or you feel overwhelmed. But even for a lot of people, what I've learned, um, it, it, I, would, right? I, I would say even as this is a very much a white person thing too, um, is if we can't see how we could be excel at something or we could be the best at something, if we can't see how we're going to bring meaningful, practical transformation in this world, if we can't see it like X, Y, Z, um, then we're like, ah, then we won't do anything. Why? If I can't be the, the best at it, if I can't be like perfect at it, if I can't see how we're gonna bring real, real change, then we'll just go back and sit on our hands. And I would say this is even like more realistic of the church. Right? Well, if we can't make this big change, we can't bring this transformation in our community, in our world, well, then we'll just become this insular group. And the gospel all of a sudden is just about something I say and we just reaffirm to everyone else, like, you're good, you're good, you're good, we're all good. All right? And does it ever move to liberation or freedom outside of those walls? I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I do know, I don't think so. Like, I absolutely believe we can change the world. And if we did it, if you didn't believe we could, then why in the world are you a Christian? <laughs> right? Like, literally, we are part of this historical spiritual movement for thousands of years that was built on the premise to go change the world. Right? God told Abraham, you're going to bring a light to the nations. You're going to be this example. The Christ literally said, John 5, you are going to do even greater things than this. Jesus has this part of where he's walking with two of his disciples and he breathes on them. The, the symbolism of this, of this life, of this, of this spirit, it bringing out even more life. Jesus <laughs> goes from table to table, party to party, 
To, to what? To bring liberation and freedom. Jesus didn't come just to inspire some people to turn around and look at us and say, us four, no more. Jesus ascended before he sent to heaven. The Great Commission literally says, go into all the world and teach them how to do what? Love God, love people. How are we going to transform the world? By engaging in this, this deep surrender of this benevolent, generous, mystical love. Then what do we do with it? We love our neighbors and we love ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Whoever's three feet in front of us. Absolutely, we're going to change the world. And how are we going to do it? Table to table, person to person. Like, and if, if, we, if we don't feel like we can do this, like, why, then why are we doing all this? Just so we can feel good about ourselves? No, like, like I, in my goal, right, in meeting or emailing these people, it's not going from about um, LGBTQ um, policies or inclusivity or affirming, whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to get them from like right here, that all of a sudden 100% affirming over here. Like, that, that's not, on the camera, it probably doesn't look that big. <laughs> I'm not going to go one end and spectrum to the other, right? I'm trying to get them from right here to right here. To see, to move, to engage in love. That, that, that's all. I'm just trying to move the, the, the clock just one minute at a time. Because people don't respond with anger. They don't respond with fear. They don't respond with shaming. The only way I've seen people move from here to here is when it costs them something. Richard Rohr says, great um, transformation happens through deep love or deep pain. Until they have a kid that comes out of the closet, until they have a friend that comes out as trans, until they have someone they, that is deeply co close to them that they love, right? That, that demands that they see them for who they are, you, you don't move. But I'm trying to help people move in this way of love, in this way of inclusivity, just a little bit at a time. And it's, this, is, this is what Jesus did. Right In this chaos, in this overwhelming, there's this verse, there's this passage that we're going to talk about today that has been haunting me about how we can bring meaningful transformation from our, our, from our table to our block to our neighborhoods to, I, I absolutely believe, to the world. And it's the, it's the story um, of two weeks ago, we talked on Jesus and Gethsemane and um, Jesus praying. It's not hard to imagine of Jesus groveling begging, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way out of this, of where, this, where I'm leading to this cross, please. Let, let's, I'm a big fan of something else. And begs, cries out three different times, and here's no three different times, which I love because to be vulnerable, to be in need, to grovel, to, to, to cry out is not a threat, right? To be human is never a threat, and we can still move in peacemaking. We can still move in love. But it's right, it is right after that Jesus um, is talking to disciples in that same space, Judas and the high priest and the guards or soldiers and even a couple of what they call the um, high priest slaves um, ascend coming towards Jesus. And this is out on, on the um, Mount of Olives. And they're coming towards Jesus and they're carrying weapons. And there's, they have swords, they have clubs. And you can, and this is in all four of the Gospels, which um, any biblical nerd, anytime there is a story, right, even though it varies in um, how they tell it, if it's in all four of the Gospels, um, it's really, really significant. Because through all the different editors or all the different authors, how moved, they kept that story telling us whatever happened before this, whatever happened after this is important you understand this. 
And the betrayal of Jesus is incredibly important. So they're coming at, 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 at Jesus and Peter, who just swore, um, not fidelity, he swore, uh, maybe that too, right? But swore his allegiance, like, yes, I'm with you, Jesus, let's go. Um, they're coming at them. And when you see a mob of people and you see people coming towards you in aggression, what is our human response? What does our evolutionary response tell us to do, right? Like puff up our chest, get a little bit bigger, start dancing around like you're coming at me, right? Because it's in us. If someone pushes us, we push them back. Someone bombs us, we bomb them even more. It is this, it is this, this circular violence. And there's something, it's not hard to imagine, of, of Peter sensing of, he believes that there's this Messiah right next to him. He believes in um, his rabbi. He believes in this whole kingdom of God. And how does the kingdom of God come to hand? Well, the same way from their stories you heard, of you partner with this amazing God, and you partner with this God in war. How do you get your, your freedom, how do you get your liberation? You do it by force because that's what God's ask us to do. That's what God would want us to do. So what does Peter do? Peter takes out his sword and he attacks one of the soldiers. It cuts off his ear. And it's hard again, imagine of there's this tense, there's this chaos, there's this movement. You can see that maybe the guards grabbing and um, holding down Peter. The other disciples, do they run? In, in Luke, um, yeah, Luke, no, in Mark, in Mark, it tells this story, honestly, in verse 51 and 52, I'm fairly certain. If they talk about this young man come in like this like tunic in this light, this light, very thin robe, and he sees the guards and he throws it off and he runs naked into the woods and the guards chase after him. Bible says it, I believe it, right? Naked guy running woods. So there's all this, all this chaos, there's violence, there is, it is just crazy. And what does Jesus do? What does the Christ do? And this is the part that haunts me. Jesus moves towards the pain. There's this slave, they call him a slave of the high priest, whose ear just got cut off. Imagine the pain, the chaos, the frustration. We don't know why this guard or why this slave came. Maybe he came to watch Jesus grovel. Maybe he wanted to see this, um, this Messiah fall and he's begging for his life. Maybe he wanted to come and, 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 and see the mysticism and the, and the majesty that he's heard of. We, we don't know, but that's not the point. And the part that haunts me, of all the times for Jesus just to sit on his hands, of all the times for Jesus to have plausible deniability and say, I'm still responding in nonviolence. I'm still a way of love. This would have been the time for Jesus just to say, you came after me. But Jesus doesn't. In the chaos, in the turmoil, Jesus moves towards the pain. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what love demands, that we move toward, towards those in pain. Jesus puts his hand and restores and brings life. Why? Because this is what love does. This is what Jesus does. Jesus is always about liberation. He's always about freedom. When Jesus tells all these different parables, it's easy for us 2,000 whatever years later, we can make it about, oh, this is a, 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 a metaphor. This is a parable about how God views us. Yes, absolutely true. But it's also about now and doing something. Of Jesus telling a parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin. 
right? Of, of people who are moving out and finding those who are not, not just lost, those who are missing, those who are lacking, who are, not, who are not benefiting from the whole system. We move towards those who are hungry. Jesus says it in Sermon on the Mount. Who gets the kingdom of God? The least and the last. There's this, there is this demand, there is this action of freedom and liberation. If it's in word only, we're missing out. There's um, a celebration of this saint that I just learned about, and I posted it on social media, and his name is um, Saint Oscar Romero, and he was a bishop in El Salvador. And, it's, and I know it's, it's hard to imagine, but at this time, 40, 50 years ago, um, in El Salvador, there was a group of people that um, were, had the wealth, had the power, and had the keys to the system, the keys to the kingdom. Um, and how they got access to the wealth and the power was based on the bodies of marginalized, oppressed people. And it's, it's really hard to imagine, right? Um, and because of that uh, disproportionate amount of wealth, power, and corrupt government, um, there were millions of people that were... Um, Traumatized. There was violence. There was poverty. There was disease. There was no representation. And so a group of um, priests got together and they called it, amongst other people, but really in Latin America, was something called liberation theology, of where instead of being in their high um, uh, offices, instead of being in their big chapels, they moved into the where the poorest people live, those most impacted by this system. Because to be Christ, right? is liberation and freedom always. And they would go and not just throw money at them, not just give them food and say, well, God loves you. No, they did that. And they also went back to the power. They went back to the systems and saying, there is more than enough to go around, right? This is uh, the parable of the vineyard. Of It's not just a metaphor. There's more of God's love to go around. It's also Jesus going to those in power, going to the system and saying, yeah, those who got hired in the beginning of the day and those who got hired five minutes before the end of the day, they all get the same amount of money. Why? Because there's more than enough to go around. It's funny. When you go to people in power, if you go to people who have any kind of power, not just in government or people who have privilege, and you hold up a mirror and saying, hey, what if there's more kindness? What if there's more access? What if there's more access to great healthcare? What if there's more way of how we can reimagine what our government or our system or welfare, whatever it might be, or how we do schooling and education? What if there's, like, what if there's a, a bigger way of doing it? Funny, people don't like that. People don't appreciate that. Actually, this is how Jesus got killed. Jesus got executed for his political statements of going to those in power and saying, uh, there's more for everybody. I think um, the, the um, uh, uh, Father Romero um, it was when his friend, a priest, got executed in the street and watched him and saw him bleed and die for doing that same thing, speaking up against power. There's something inside him that was revolutionized. And for the next three years, this is what he lived. This is what he was for. He was for the liberation, that there can be equality, there can be equity, there can be, right? There can be systems and policies and programs that can make everything thrive and flourish. And he called it an option for the poor. And when he got interviewed, I'm gonna read it. He got interviewed and they, he wanted, they're like, well, what do you mean by the option of poor? This is what he says. I offer you this way of an example. A building is on fire and you're watching it burn, standing and wondering if everyone is safe. Then someone tells you that your mother and your sister are, are inside that building. Your attitude changes completely. You're frantic. 
your mother and your sister are burning and you, and you do anything to rescue them, even at the cost of getting charred. That's what it means to be truly committed. If we look at poverty from the outside as if we're looking at a fire, that's not to opt for the poor, no matter how concerned we may be. We should get inside as if our own mother and sister were burning. Indeed, it is Christ who is there, hungry and suffering. That man was killed 41 years ago, executed while he was preaching, giving his homily. This person, I just, I, again, I just learned about him class last week. It was so inspiring. It brought me back to that, that story of, of, of Jesus moving towards the pain, moving towards the injustice, even when it's unfair. This is what it means to be Christian, friends. This is what it means to be human. The word I've been using a lot that I love is reimagining Christian, reimagining church, reimagining being human. And what does that mean? Because here's the thing. What are we to do? That's, you know, every message has to end of like, what is the application? What, what, there's two ways we can respond. Is first, where are the buildings that are on fire? And it's so easy to like look at the suffering, look at the buildings that are on fire in our, in our school system, in our health care, in our, in our communities, in our local city governments. It's easy to look at the, the things that are burning and we can just look back and say, oh, that's a shame. And we can look back at our own house and say, oh, my house is doing great. It's doing pretty good over there, right? And we're like, oh, someone should do something about this burning house. Here's even a bigger problem. There's so many people that keep their eyes closed and plug their nose and they're convinced there, there's no one, there's no burning buildings. They're not even aware that there's people in need. We have to open our eyes. The first thing we can do before we even move towards the burning fires, before we even move like the Christ towards the person who had the ear cut off, before we can even move in love to those who are hurting, we have to see them, friends. And they're, they are everywhere of sexism in the workplace. You might have seen it in, in the that's what she said jokes or whatever, whatever it might be. And you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. That is bringing trauma. That is bringing triggers and microaggressions to people. For, for me, and you, you've probably heard me say it a lot lately. I've, I, I, I deeply believe in the prophetic and I feel like it is something God is moving inside of me of, of, um, <clears throat> of trans students, trans people in general, but specifically trans kids and trans students, of the language and the violence in language. I've heard people say, I've seen people put it online because there's this debate of the Equality Bill, the Equality Act. And even in South Dakota, making a legal of saying, well, trans kids can't play in girls' sports. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. I get it because it doesn't cost you anything. There is a burning building of these kids that are being traumatized. You think they don't hear? Do you think they can't read those comments? Do you think they don't hear what their friends' parents are saying about them? You don't think they can sense that fear? You don't think that traumatizes? You think the parents don't hear what other parents are saying about their kids? Do you think they turn off and like, oh, dude, it is absolutely destroying people. And the policies that people have put in place saying, well, you know, trans people, if only would have tried harder, 
Maybe they could be in leadership. Maybe someday they could be a pastor. Maybe someday they could be in this place of bringing Christ to people all throughout this area. Oh, I'm sorry. You, th- you don't think that is bringing active pain and mental health? You th- it's, it's, this is one reason. For you, However you want to move. This is a big reason why I became a sub. and a, a, I got vaccinated early on, and I asked the principal, hey, how can I help? And he said, we need more subs. And so I sub. And I don't have my water. I bring, um, uh, I bring this in on my water bottle, our little sticker. And I do it as a way of letting, if there's any kid that has come out, if there's any kid who has not, if there's any kid, um, some trans student who can see that and just even for a moment feel like, hey, there's someone, there's hope. There's someone who believes me. There's someone, I use the word so often, that everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made. If they hear that one time, there's burning buildings. Instead of treating, well, that's too bad, of placing myself in that building, placing my daughter, placing my kid being traumatized and bullied. And it's just, I'm going to go off on a tangent now. Even the idea, I heard someone say, well, you know, I I believe that people just choose that. Do you think some seventh grader wakes up and says, you know what would be really great? You know, be, you know what's going to make my quality of life just go through the roof at my small town school? You know what's going to be really awesome? Right? Is oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to choose to be gay. I'm just going to be, I'm going to choose that I just want to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm male presenting, but really, do you think that's, they just, they just like, oh, that would be, that would be a good idea. Yeah. There's, there's, People in these buildings are burning. So first thing we have to do is be aware of the problem, and then we have to move, friends. And yes, it's going to cost you something to post something about the Derek Chauvel trial. It's going to cost you something to stand up at work about the sexist jokes. It's going to stand. It's going to cost you something to begin to address your privilege as a white person. It's going to cost you something to learn your neighbors' names. Right? That one's, that one's going to be a little bit less, but we, we have to start somewhere because how are we going to transform the world is when we move towards those fires. And again, is it fair? No. Not at all. It's not fair. But this is what love demands, that we see people, even in the chaos, even as the naked guy running through the woods and even <laughs> the violence and all this, Jesus still moves. And this is where I end. And this is where I end. And... I believe there's a lot, this word is for a lot of people. It is easy to, when we read the story, and we should, to place ourselves as the Christ in the character of like, we are going to move towards the hurting, we're going to move towards the oppressed. I firmly believe that. But it's also we can put ourselves as that person who's been attacked, who's been a victim. And how I started was just feeling overwhelmed in the chaos. I imagine there's a lot of us and there's something in, at least in me, there's sometimes in me of like, no, no, I have to be strong. I have to keep going. Um, I, I need to be part of this liberation. I need to be, I need to just keep going. I need to, whatever winning is without even taking a moment to realize how I'm doing. So to my friends who are feeling guilty because they got a divorce in a pandemic, to my friends who feel guilty that they did not get a divorce and pandemic. To my friends who are people of color who have to be looking over their shoulder as they walk through a grocery store, who have to be acutely aware of where their kids are. 
to my friends who all this violence triggers the, 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 the domestic abuse that you did take on or you still are. To all my friends, all the traumatic memories of being a kid in that family system and you're beginning to work through it and it's killing you. To my friends who have put on weight. Right before I left the house, I saw something that on average people have gained 18 pounds. And we kind, of, we kind of joke about it, right? Like, oh, you know, you put on your COVID-20, whatever it is. There's some people out there who are um, <clears throat> emotional about this, who are absolutely destroying themselves, beating themselves up, saying horrible, worthless things to themselves because of a number on a scale. To my friends who feel hopeless and currently overwhelmed, there is grace for you. I imagine Jesus moving towards that person as he's extending his hand. It's not out of us like, you're lucky I'm here. I, I, I can even, for me, I, I just I, I, I picture Jesus just whispering to me, there's grace. So those who are in pain, those who are in chaos, <laughs> those, maybe you're the naked guy running in the woods. <laughs> in all that, there is grace. And I'm gonna pray for us. And if that's you, something that helps me is I put my hand I just put my hand on my chest as a way of physically, um, in, even in solidarity, even picturing of the Christ putting his hand on me and praying it so I can receive it. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray. So God, we love you. And grace. Grace. We receive that grace. For those of us who feel resistant to grace, we do not feel we are worth it. Let that grace come. We put that lie down. To my friends who feel I've already had so much grace, how can I get even more? Let grace come. And we affirm and we believe that you, even to us, you move to us. Even in the chaos of our houses, of our work, of our finances, of our substance abuse, of our addictions, of our shame, of our tiredness of our bodies, of our fear of what's next. Grace. As we surrender to that deep love, as we, as we take in that deep grace, Father, Mother, Sister, Friend, will you move us to see the burning buildings? Will you help us be able to see the people who are victims of violence? Help us to be able to see people who are victims of racism, transphobia, xenophobia. Will you help us be able to see those who are in poverty, who are in poor, Help us be able to see the kids who are hungry. Help us be able to hear and listen to the words of our coworkers and that we believe them. Help us as individuals, help us as circle of friends, help us as a church that we will see, we will hear, and we will believe and that belief moves to our feet so we can go to the streets where there can be liberation and freedom. We love you. Amen. All right. Grace, friends. Like, honestly, 
there's two things you can take away is picturing the Christ moving towards people in the midst of chaos. It's never easy to move in love. And even as you do that, let there be grace because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Blessings, neighborhood.